You're listening to the official Travel Through History podcast. We're the producers. I'm Joe. And I'm John. If you haven't heard our story yet, go back to the first episode. We kind of give you a little breakdown of how this all started. In the meantime, the voice of the show, Jillian, will take you to our next destination. Take it away, Jillian. Great Odin's Raven. On today's episode of Travel Through History, we're crossing the Atlantic like legendary Viking explorers, charting a course to a land of impossible beauty, intrigue, and tall tales. And boy, did we find a little slice of Valhalla in Oslo, Norway. First, we'll set sail with the ancient Viking ships unearthed from their burial grounds at the Viking Ship Museum. We'll learn how the ancient Norsemen, known as the Vikings, used their expert shipbuilding skills to construct vessels that crossed the Atlantic in search of new lands, way before that Italian guy. Next, we defend the castle at Akershus and visit the fortress constructed to guard the Oslo fjords against attacks from any invading hordes. You'll wander the very same great halls King Christian IV roamed hundreds of years ago. Who doesn't love a good race? And it wouldn't be Norwegian if death wasn't on the line. At the Fromm Museum, you'll learn about the famous ship whose hull crushed an ice trail to both the North and the South Poles. Hear the history behind the amazing polar race where the winner goes on to infamy and the loser doesn't come home. Have you heard the tale about the Norwegians that set sail across the vast ocean? No, not the Vikings. Not the Fromm either. I'm talking about the Kontiki. Learn about Tor Heyerdahl's scientific theory and his 1947 101-day excursion across the Pacific on a handmade balsa wood raft just to prove a point. Have I mentioned the Norwegians are fearless? So like a cold wind from the north, we're going to explore Oslo on today's Travel Through History, Nordic Edition. The city of Oslo was founded around 1049 by King Harald III, and it has been regarded as the capital of Norway since the reign of King Hulken V, who was the first king to call it home. Hi, my name is Annette Reijersen, and I am the CIO at Akershus Castle, Oslo, Norway. The castle is an old fortress. It was built by King Hulken V uh, in the year 1299. We know it was more or less ready as a fortress. The original city of Oslo was located across the bay, but it had a bad habit of catching fire. Oh, the city burned down every 20 years. So it burned down several times. Oslo was moved during King Christian IV's reign. The fortress had already been here for 300, almost 400 years when he moved the city. The spot for this fortress was the best spot to build a fortress. You are on a cliff that goes out in the water, so there was no access by ship. And also, it was very hard to come into the premises, onto the premises, by horse or by foot. Akershus Fortress is still a military area today, but it is open to the public daily. 
When you come here, the first you will see is the old medieval passage that leads you down to the dungeons. From there, you move on to the Royal Mausoleum, which is the burial site of our royal family of today. Further on, you move on to the castle church, and then you see all the great halls that are used by the Norwegian government today. To me, the most intriguing place is King Christian IV's Hall because of the view. You have a spectacular view over the fjord of Oslo. Oslo sits at the head of the Oslo Fjord, a series of waterways with many tiny islands that dot the seascape. Water taxis, recreational watercraft and fishing boats populate the area, moving visitors and locals alike around with ease. The Oslo of today is a thriving European city with plenty of visual delights, cultural experiences, and exciting activities. I love the city of Oslo because it's not too big. We have the fjord, we have the sea, we have the woods around you. Everything is very easy to access. I love the diversity. I really do. We have everything here. We, we, sometimes we say Oslo is the, the, the blue and the green and the capital in between. So it's a very, very close distance from the water up to the mountains. The vibe of Oslo today, I think it's a very cool vibe. It's an open vibe. I think most of the people here are open to visitors and we like to show them around and give you tips on where to go and what to do. From Viking expeditions to modern day water taxis, the sea is as much a part of today's Norway as it has been for centuries. Besides exploration and transportation, this seafaring tradition has a few other benefits. You haven't tasted real fish anywhere else. When you come to Norway and Oslo, fish is our speciality. My favorite fish is cod, because we prepare it differently to the different seasons of, of, of the year. And if you're feeling adventurous, there is one traditional Norwegian dish that can't be ignored. We have many specialties here in Norway. Some love lutefisk. My favorite Norwegian cuisine uh, would be lutefisk. Others hate it. You shouldn't ask me about lutefisk because I hate lutefisk. Lutefisk is a cod that has been prepared with lye. Yes, that's the same lye used to make soap in unclogged drains. The preparation takes many days of soaking the fish in solutions of cold water and lye until it's reduced to a jelly-like consistency. It looks like jello. Uh, and it tastes like uh, nothing, really, or, or really bad. Don't worry, before you eat this <clears throat> delicacy, the fish soaks for four to six more days in cold water to rinse off the stuff that can kill you. Hey, I'm told that after you cook it, it's delicious. It's all about the side dishes, what you have with, with the fish. I like shellfish, it's, it's very good quality. Cold water? Very good quality. We have the shrimps, the open-face sandwiches with lots of shrimps and mayonnaise. And it's so nice just to sit in the harbour on the pier and just get some shrimps from the local fishermen and just sit there and eat the shrimps and then we feel it's really summer. Come to Norway, come to Oslo, uh, meet the people, feel the vibe. And I think most people will travel home a little bit wiser than when they arrived. Every week we post new episode information to our website, travelthroughhistory.tv. But we want to hear even more from our viewers. 
So like us on our Facebook page as well at facebook.com slash travel through history. Tell us where we should go next or teach us something new. Hey everybody, it's Joe and John, the producers of Travel Through History here. And one thing I wanted to mention to you guys was the only way that we're able to even make programming like this is through a charity. And our charity is called the Watch and Learn Foundation, and you can visit it by going to watchandlearn.org. What Joe really means is that we have no idea how to sell the show. And although we've tried in the last four years, it, we haven't been successful at it. We can shoot, write, produce, edit. What else do we do? Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. Everything that... But we can't sell. Yeah. So yep, if, you, if you're actually somebody listening that can help us sell the show, please call us, send us an email, anything, because we really want to keep doing more of these, and we actually like to pay our bills. But in the meantime, you can go to watchandlearn.org and make a donation. That's right. That's www.watchandlearn.org, and donate and keep shows like Travel Through History and other educational shows on the air. If today's show had a theme, it would be exploration. The Norwegian people are the embodiment of exploration and adventure, and it all begins with their knowledge of the sea. Hi, my name is Vibeke Ishta. I'm an employee here at the Viking Ship Museum in Oslo. The Vikings were considered fearless and brutal warriors, conquering most of Europe between the 8th and 11th centuries. Their military prowess, however, shouldn't eclipse their advanced seafaring skills and contributions to exploration. Evidence suggests that the Vikings began to colonize the Americas as early as the 10th century. Their North American settlements were small and not able to develop into permanent colonies, but their ability to cross the Atlantic long before Christopher Columbus made his journey is a nautical achievement like none other. Here at the Viking Ship Museum, we've got three ships. We've got the Oseberg ship, which is the one behind me, the most well-preserved ship that we have is the Goxter ship. And then we also have the Tuna ship, which is the first ship that was found. There are four main types of Viking ships, the Nar, Carve, Fairing, and Long ships. The Fairing is an open boat with two pairs of oars, typically used as fishing vessels. Nar ships are merchant vessels capable of traveling long distances. These are the ships used by the Vikings to cross the Atlantic. Long ships are what you typically think of when you imagine a Viking ship. They are long, narrow, and graceful looking ships that are designed for speed. The Gokstad ship on display at the Viking Ship Museum is a perfect example. In the Gokstad ship, they found a man in his 40s. Uh, he uh, has a known disease as uh, giantism, so his bones are enlarged and he would have been a really tall, massive man. Uh, and also, he, uh, we found evidence that he was a great warrior. He has several battle wounds, and he had a stab wound that killed him. The Osberg ship is the first ship you see when you visit the museum. It is another example of a carved-type ship, but this one was designed for ceremonial purposes. We're standing in front of the Osberg ship that was found in the early 1900s. Uh, it was found uh, with the Osberg queen and her maid. The queen's bones are quite uh, well preserved. We have found evidence of her having cancer. You can see her bones have deteriorated quite uh, severely. She was about 70, 80 and her maid was in her 30s, 40s. The Vikings believed 
that the dead would sail to the afterlife on these ceremonial ships and would prepare the deceased for the journey by burying their possessions with them. Items that were found on the Osberg ship are on display in the museum. There is a richly carved four-wheel wooden cart, bed posts, wooden chests, clothing, and posts for the ship itself. To experience the, the Vikings themselves, the culture, what we found within the ships, you should come here, see the ships in display, the ornaments, the design, the details. It's worth looking at. Just down the road from the Viking Ship Museum is another structure built to house a vessel of a different kind. My name is Gunhild Hernes. I am a tour guide here in Oslo. This is the Fram Museum. Fram, that means forward, because this boat behind me here, it is the boat that has went the furthest north in the world and also the further south. Norwegian explorer Fridjof Nansen was driven with the desire to reach the geographical North Pole and travel farther north than any previous explorers. We were in a union with Sweden and really we wanted to be proud of being Norwegians. So Fridjof Nansen, he was like a hero. Nansen supervised the construction of the Fram and influenced the design to withstand prolonged pressure from the ice it would encounter. The rounded, reinforced hull actually pushed the ship up so that it was able to float on the ice itself. It was a huge expedition. It that started in 1893 and it ended in 1896 and he almost made it all the way to the North Pole. Fromm's design proved successful, raising the ship above the ice instead of crushing it. It was Nansen's plan to have the Fromm drift with the ice, eventually leading the expedition to their destination. After two years, then Fridtjof Nansen, he understood it's not possible to get to the very North Pole as he wanted to. So like any respectable Norwegian, he decided to ski his way there. Well, actually it was more involved than that. He chose one of his most experienced crew members and a team of sled dogs in an attempt to make their way north. They spent several months training for the journey. Then on March 14, 1895, with the Fram at 84 degrees, four minutes north, the two set out. Unfortunately, the ice was moving a lot, so it was not possible to get to the very North Pole. But he got to till the degree of 86, which no man before had reached. The team decided that they would turn around and head to camp in Franz Josef Land. They survived on walrus and polar bear meat until finally meeting British explorers, the Jackson-Harmsworth expedition. Nansen and Johansen eventually made it back to Norway only a few days before Fram and her crew arrived. However, this wasn't the last voyage that Fram would make before retiring to the shores of Big Day in Oslo. Coming up, we'll see another explorer take the Fram in a new direction. Hey, it's John and Joe, the producers of Travel Through History. The only way we can affordably produce these shows is with an invitation from our tourism board partners. They help show us around and get us where we need to be to tell the story. Oslo was definitely one of the most fun shows that we shot. We were really looking forward to this one. Yeah, I, I had a blast there. I, you know, it was one of those cities that I've always wanted to go to. Um, and actually, one of those countries that I've always wanted to go to. And who doesn't like getting off the plane and having cod soup? <laughs> exactly. We went right into our first cod soup seconds after getting off the plane. Uh, that, that show actually had so much content that we couldn't fit it all into the show. We still have several packages that uh, haven't even aired. 
Yeah, we have um, we have at least a whole other show coming out soon with Oslo, and hopefully we can get that done within the next uh, year or so and get that out the door. Visit their website, which is www.visitoslo.com, if you'd like to uh, get more information on what you can do there. But uh, I think you really enjoy your time in Norway. Fram provided the Norwegian explorer Fridtjof Nansen with the means to travel to the North Pole, but the expedition wasn't entirely successful. The shifting ice made locating the pole nearly impossible. Now it's time to try again. But this time, another explorer is at the helm. Erwal Amundsen, he was a great admirer of Fridtjof Nansen. He had seen how popular he got, he was like a hero. He wanted to do the same thing. And he was a great explorer. He had, for example, discovered the Northwest Passage in 1905, which uh, sailors for 400 years have been trying to reach. So he had a lot of experience. Unfortunately for Amundsen, an American by the name of Robert Perry claimed to have reached the geographic North Pole on April 6, 1909. Now we know that he didn't make it, but at that time they didn't. So he changed all his plans. He wanted to be the first. He wanted to go to the south, but he didn't tell anyone. Not his crew of 18 people, neither the royal family, the Norwegian people that were there to salute him when he went away. Amundsen finally decided to inform his crew of the little detour that he was about to make as Fromm headed south. During this time, another explorer, Robert Scott, was also making the journey south. His expedition was highly publicized throughout Europe and the United States. When word of Amundsen's ambitions reached England, the response was a bit hostile. Rubbish. So there was going to be an epic race towards the South Pole. Amundsen knew that he was late to the party, so he decided to take a route that was a bit risky. Nobody knew if it was possible to get there, but he had to risk it a little bit because Scott, he had already started. Scott, however, had one major disadvantage. He didn't like dogs. So he was using sledges with engine, and he was using ponies, and that was a disaster in the ice. Amundsen had previous experience with the conditions that he would face in the Antarctic, which gave him a huge advantage over Scott. He had been living with Eskimos, so he knew how to dress, what to eat. He was eating Norwegian chocolate. <laughs> that helped a lot. This was something that was news all over, and everybody were asking themselves who were going to get there first. It was the Norwegian, Erwal Amundsen. Scott and his remaining crew reached the South Pole on January 17, 1912, nearly a month after Amundsen. Scott and his crew never made it home. Their bodies were discovered in November of that same year, after the end of the Antarctic winter. Here at the museum, the most important thing to see is the ship itself. To go on board, to get a feeling how was it like to go on these expeditions, to see how well preserved it was, you will get the feeling that you are a part of the trip. When you walk around the ship, there are polar exhibitions. You will see artwork and you will see photos of the great explorers themselves. Our story of exploration isn't finished. Directly across the road from where the Fram has made her home, you'll find another museum marked by a Polynesian statue that might seem a little out of place in a Norwegian city. Hi, my name is Holf Tantangen Jr. I'm the Marketing and Communication Manager at the Kontiki Museum. Thor Herald, he grew up in Larvik, a little town in Norway. 
He met Liv, his first love, and they decided to find paradise on Earth. They thought that paradise might be an island in French Polynesia called Fatuiva, and they planned on spending the rest of their life on the sunny Pacific island. But after a year, they had to give up. But it was a very important trip for Mr. Heyerdahl and an old cannibal called Teitetua. He told Heyerdahl, these islands have been populated from South America. Tour researched the idea and wrote a paper that wasn't exactly well received. So in order to prove his theory and save his reputation, he came up with a plan. So he had to do it himself. Cross the Pacific Ocean on a balsa raft, six man, 101 days. Tour assembled a six-man crew and planned to sail from Peru to the Pacific Islands using the same materials available to the prehistoric natives, balsa, pine, and bamboo. Contiki's main body was constructed using nine balsa tree trunks, about 45 feet long and two feet in diameter. On the 28th of April, 1947, the Contiki and her crew set sail from Peru. They couldn't steer it very well and it was quite rough waves at the time, and they went into two uh, heavy storms. But the, 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 um, the raft went on top of the waves, and it was no problem at all. So they managed quite well. Tor filmed the entire expedition and kept a detailed journal. He also kept in constant contact with the mainland using radio communication. And to Harald, he wanted to have people using radio because he wanted to send radio messages, especially to North American newspapers, kind of early tweeting, so that the story became hot all the way. After 101 days at sea, the Contiki ran aground on a reef 4,340 miles west of their starting point in Peru. The main project in Trujillo's life was to prove that the big oceans were not barriers, but it was kind of big roads. And that people have used these big oceans long before we believed. So maybe they even had the sail before they had the saddle and the wheel. Stay tuned for more TTH. Every week we post new episode information to our website, TravelThroughHistory.tv. But we want to hear even more from our viewers. So like us on our Facebook page as well at Facebook.com slash TravelThroughHistory. Tell us where we should go next or teach us something new. Hey everybody, it's Joe and John, the producers of Travel Through History here. And one thing I wanted to mention to you guys was the only way that we're able to even make programming like this is through a charity. And our charity is called the Watch and Learn Foundation, and you can visit it by going to watchandlearn.org. What Joe really means is that we have no idea how to sell the show. And although we've tried in the last four years, it, we haven't been successful at it. We can shoot, write, produce, edit. What else do we do? Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. Everything that... But we can't sell. Yeah. Yep, so if, you, if you're actually somebody listening that can help us sell the show, please call us, send us an email, anything, because we really want to keep doing more of these, and we actually like to pay our bills. But in the meantime, you can go to watchandlearn.org and make a donation. That's right. That's www.watchandlearn.org, and donate and keep shows like Travel Through History and other educational shows on the air. We hope that our show about Norwegian exploration inspires you to get out there and experience Oslo for yourself. The beauty of this bustling European city shines through the people that you will meet and the culture that you will absorb. As the Norwegians say, Tusentak, which means many thanks. 
We look forward to having you join us again next time on Travel Through History. Thanks for listening to Travel Through History. Don't forget to visit the website to learn more about the places we visited and some quick history. That's www.travelthroughhistory.tv.